0: To Radio Around the World, brought to you by Goethe Institute. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson of Common Ground Berlin. Africa is a place where radio is still a, if not the primary communication tool, because it's tough to find decent internet on the continent. Even we experienced African internet difficulties and ended up having to postpone our interview with veteran broadcaster John Masugu because of the terrible connection in the outskirts of Zimbabwe's capital. John, who is a media consultant, was UNESCO's campaign coordinator for World Radio Day earlier this year. I asked the 67-year-old what role radio played in his early life.
1: It was very important. I grew up in a radio family. My father worked at a broadcasting station, the then Southern Rhodesia Broadcasting Corporation, which became the Rhodesia Broadcasting Corporation, and then later the Zimbabwe Broadcasting Corporation. He was not an announcer he was a non-microphone member of staff as a commissioner, but he brought home a lot of stories about radio. And he generally loved to open the radio for us and would listen to many programs, news bulletins, a book reading, dramas, music shows, storytelling, you know, all those programs. And back. Then you would come home and tell us about these personalities whom we had on radio and then tell us about what that person is like in day-to-day life because he worked with them. And I also had two uncles who were radio broadcasters, my father's young brothers. Again, they inspired me in particular to be a broadcaster, and uh, yeah, they did a variety of programs. And when I joined in 1974, it was like I was following in their footsteps.
0: Now, radio was segregated back then. I mean, there was black radio and there was white radio, uh, just like there was segregation in in society.
1: Yes. Uh, Rhodesia uh, was a colony until 1980, a colony of the British. But, of course, back in 1965, a party in then Rhodesia unilaterally declared independence from the UK. They felt that the British were getting closer to the African nationalists in granting them independence, like uh, what was happening in other neighboring countries. So they broke away and uh, they sort of stuck to a white supremacist type of government uh, where most of the things were separated between blacks and whites. So that happened again in radio, whereby you had the general service, which was also called the European service, and it was only broadcasting in English, and all the announcers who worked there were English-speaking and all white. And then on the African service, the management was white, but all the announcers were black, broadcasting in the local uh, black languages. So that was the structure at that time until our independence in 1980.
0: So then when you went into radio, were you working for a black radio station or network? Yes,
1: or- I was working for the African Service of the Rhodesia Broadcasting Corporation, which was broadcasting programs for blacks. But like I said, our management was white. Those people who held senior positions, even at the African Service, the director was white. The assistant director was white and uh, the secretary of staff uh, were white. We had uh, also a few technical operators who were white and then others who were black, and then the majority of the announcers were black. At one time, they also had white people who could speak local languages also broadcasting uh, on the channel. where the a lady who used to do women's programs until they employed uh, black women. So, yes, uh, I worked for the African service, which was... a. Uh, predominantly black in terms of programming, although there were also some English programs which were broadcast. But the main programs were in the local languages of Shona and Ndebele.
0: So what role did radio play in Zimbabwe's fight for independence?
1: Radio played a very, very important role in the fight for independence. Locally, radio avoided... You know, a lot of programs about nationalism or mention of those who were fighting to change the system were fighting for black majority rule, be they Zimbabweans or neighboring South Africa. For instance, many people did not know that that was a person called Nelson Mandela who was languishing in jail because he was hardly mentioned in most broadcasts so much that even broadcasters like myself knew very, very little about him. So that was locally. And there were also programs That were propaganda programs produced by the Ministry of Information, which would have discussions and interviews just to discourage people from supporting those who were fighting in the bush, who they called terrorists. So that was the situation inside the country. But those who were running the nationalist movements set up radio stations in different parts of the world, and the world supported the nationalist movements of South Africa, Zimbabwe, Angola, Mozambique, by providing frequencies on shortwave and medium wave for them to broadcast programs that would be listened to inside their countries. So in Zimbabwe, you had a radio station in Russia, you know, uh, run by the Zimbabwe African People's Union, led by Joshua Nkomo, which people would listen to uh, in many parts of Zimbabwe on shortwave, coming out very clearly. Then you had One running from Ethiopia, again, run by Zimbabweans who are now in exile, broadcasting into the country about the message of mobilizing to fight the regime that was uh, uh, ruling then. Then Tanzania again gave uh, transmitters to the liberation movement to do the same. But as the war intensified after the mid 70s, most of the broadcasts were coming now from Lusaka, neighboring Lusaka in Zambia on the Zapu side, and then from Mozambique in Maputo from the Zanu side. Those mobilized a lot of people who crossed en masse to join the liberation war across the border. So radio played a very, very important role. And those people, by the way, who were running those stations particularly those of ZANU who later won the elections are the ones who came back home to run radio and television and the media in Zimbabwe. And those people who were outside running radio, especially from Maputo and from uh, Lusaka, Zambia, got their training from the Yugoslavs and also the Germans, especially the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, which then was led by Erich Honecker and so forth. They got that kind of moral support. And these are the guys who then came uh, to transform radio uh, in Zimbabwe.
0: You mentioned the GDR's help with radio during the fight for independence, John. But has Germany been involved with radio in Zimbabwe in other ways?
1: Right. I have to mention that Germany, through its foundations, uh, played important roles in Technically, in bringing equipment, recording equipment, setting up studios, training announcers. I'm a product of uh, the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung because after television news, I moved to Radio 4, which had lots of support uh, from the Germans. We had so many German trainers coming into Zimbabwe, we had German uh, broadcasters being seconded to work with us and we formed committees that even traveled to other countries supported by the Germans in order to enhance our broadcasting. I trained at the Deutsche Welle after BBC, I did my radio management at the Deutsche Welle and so many people were trained in Germany. So both Germany, the West Germany, and the the GDR before uh, the the two uh, were joined together. And even the the Goethe Institute that we are talking about, in the early years of independence, we had some relationship where we even used to record some of their content in order uh, to broadcast it on Radio 4 because the Germans became very interested in in Radio 4, which they were supporting through the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung.
0: We've discussed how powerful radio is in Africa. Are governments there helping or hurting radio on the African continent?
1: Well, they do help the development of radio, the installation of transmitters. Like in Zimbabwe, they've opened up the airwaves. We now have private radio stations. We now have commune radio stations. Just the last week, I was going around the country and, uh, yeah, I was able to pick uh, most of the commune radio stations very, very clearly. In fact, not even the national radio stations that belong to ZBC and those that belong to Zim Papers. So yeah, and uh, the ZBC ones and the Zim Papers ones are are government stations. And then we have the private ones there. Although not many stay in the sense of the word private, but they also have a, a wide reach around the country. But of course, government is a hold on the public media the public media is not all that free. Most of the messages are pro-government. Very little descending voices there. So that's where their involvement becomes more pronounced. Like right now, during the election season, most of the sports announcements, most of the promotions, most of the jingles are those of the ruling party. Very rarely would you hear those of the opposition parties. So that's where they've got a good as far as I can see.
0: You were UNESCO's International Campaign Coordinator for World Radio Day this year. The theme was radio and peace, especially the role independent radio plays in conflict resolution. Can you give me an example of how radio has helped bring peace or resolve conflicts?
1: Yes, radio has played a very pivotal role in that area by bringing different voices together to talk peace, bringing messages of peace. They may not be mentioned specifically as peace, but the nature and the way they are coined, the way they are put together is in such a way that different people who otherwise can hurt each other or can uh, do harm to each other are brought together to discuss how they can live in harmony. Radio also brings examples of how other nations and our other communities have lived peacefully. They've had peaceful coexistence. And by sharing such discussions, such messages on radio, people learn that it is not always necessary to be at each other's throat. And also, the uh, messages are generally about peace, especially with us here in Zimbabwe. Like I said, we're in election season. That is preached that while you differ, it's not necessary to differ uh, physically by fighting. You can differ in opinions, but that should not lead to fights. And different people from different nationalities also come and share their experience about elections again on radio, uh, which is a motivator to Zimbabweans who will be listening that they can promote peace. Even those uh, tribes within the country uh, who are not all that close. They are brought closer to each other through different radio programs where they also hear about stories from other countries, how they peacefully coexisted, and also giving them a a bit of uh, history that we were once one. There are other things that may have divided us along the way, uh, but we are one, even if we now speak different languages, and so forth. So radio plays that important role because it can do so in different languages. It can do so in the language of those people who cannot even read and write and they can enjoy. Even the music that is played on radio, playing music that is a positive message, again, uh, it contributes towards a uh, peace.
0: Recent studies show that radio is still more important to people in Africa than the Internet. Why is
1: that? yes it's because of connectivity uh, yesterday you and i were, and someone in the studio were joking about how difficult it was for me in harare to connect it to you what more 30 kilometers outside harare that is the the problem we have some areas uh, for many years which have never received the internet signal uh, ever since it started, uh, they have not received it. But of course, even radio had challenges in the past that uh, uh, it would not be received until they introduced community radio. But yeah, coming to the internet, the main problem is connectivity is very, very difficult and also very expensive to listen to radio on the internet. It becomes expensive. So even if you are sending a voice note or you are sending a a video, people would warn you against that, say, no, please don't send me that because it means I have to buy bundles and then download that. I don't have enough money. So it's still very expensive for the ordinary person in Africa to be able to have that luxury we normally have when we're in Europe of just uh, being on the internet, on high-speed internet all the time. So that that is the major problem, yes. There
0: are so many languages spoken in Africa. How do you overcome that challenge to make sure radio reaches a wide enough audience?
1: Well, fortunately here, we have 16 official languages, which is not much as compared to other African countries. So there are programs, news bulletins in those languages. And I think By and large, that is still manageable uh, in terms of scheduling the different programs for those language groups. But they become more clearly focused when they are on the local commercial or on the community radio stations, because they will be focusing on a a region or on a community.
0: That was John Masugu, whom we reached at his home in Harare, Zimbabwe, I'm Soraya Sarhadi nelson of Common Ground Berlin, and thank you for listening. Radio Around the World is brought to you by the Guta Institute. Thank you to all of our friends and partners for making this series possible.